Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy takes us in Isaiah chapter 51 in a sermon titled, God, Our Comfort. He asks a few questions. What is Jesus saying to you about you? What is Jesus saying about all the wounds you've received? What is Jesus saying about all your failures and sin? The answer, you are forgiven. Also, during this week's recording, there was a couple of audio glitches, so it will jump a little bit in a few places, and I do apologize for that. Uh, But we thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy. So we believe three things in our church. If you are new or visiting with us this morning, let me tell you these three things that we believe. This comes from Isaiah 61. Uh, And number one, uh, Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon upon Jesus, and now upon us to set the captive free, to bind up the brokenhearted. That's why we believe that there is hope beyond our brokenness. That right where you are is, is great, and we are so excited that you're here. And also know that the living, breathing God of the universe is going to transform you and heal you. Somebody give me an amen. Yes. Second, we believe that we're called to trust in our risen Savior. The end of Isaiah 61, God gives this beautiful image that that he's going to make us like oaks with deep, deep, deep roots, oaks of righteousness, that we would be strong when the storms would come in our life, and that we are called together to learn how to trust our our risen Savior, and he is alive and present today. Amen? Amen? And third, just like Abby did this last week, just like we're going to do for all the weeks to come, is that you and I get to bring restoration to our community that we, the church, are designed by God to literally break down the gates of hell and go rescue rescue the captives that are there. And we do that in our everyday life. And you don't need a master's degree in theology to do that. You don't need a seminary degree, and you certainly don't have to have your life put together. God is going to use you, right? Warts and all, right now. Isn't that good news? I mean, look at the person next to you. You doubt that they could do anything in God's kingdom on their own, right? But with Jesus, they can do all things. Amen? Amen. Sorry. So each one of these truths, hope beyond our brokenness, trust in our risen Savior, and restoration for our community that we see in Isaiah 61, as well as in all of the story of Scripture, comes with a choice that we get to make every day. Let's make that choice together today as we read this. We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. So last week, we prayed for um, Buffalo and for our Taiwanese brothers and sisters down in Southern California. This week, we need to pray for Rivaldi. Can we pray? God, there are so many families in Rivaldi, Texas right now that are just heartbroken. God, we pray your peace and your comfort upon them. God, for those recovering from wounds, please help. No parent needs to bury a child. God, for all those who mourn, comfort. 
bring hope. And Lord, we hold up to that you, this issue in our country that is so incredibly painful. Please, Jesus, show us the way forward. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Over the past five, six weeks as we've been in the book of Isaiah, We've seen how God, because he loves us, confronts our rebellion and orphan and survival mindset, which have us eating out of dumpsters rather than his buffet table. Yes? And God, through Isaiah, is politely saying, this isn't working for you, living apart from me. Turn to me and be healed and find life. And so no matter their day-to-day context under Babylonian captivity, whether Israel is victorious in battle in the past or taken into slavery now in Babylon, God's promise is always present with them and that is true for your life as well. And here's God's promise. I will never leave you. I will never forget you. You are engraved on my hands. I love you and you are mine. Turn to me and be healed and live. So in this last series of messages from Isaiah chapter 52 to the end, God is gonna show that he will save Israel and that God will give Israel a purpose. So let me repeat that. God is gonna show Israel that he's gonna do the saving and then he's gonna give Israel a brand new purpose. And God also presents these gifts to you today. Today is about how God saves you from the problem that's deeper than politics or war or tragedy or suffering. It's how God frees and saves your soul. And next week as we read Isaiah 61, God is gonna give you a purpose that is far grander and more beautiful than you could ever imagine or deserve. So then how does God save us and give us this glorious purpose? Well, God's gonna send a servant, his name is Jesus, who will listen even when we've closed our ears. God will send a servant who will obey even when we're lost in our rebellion. God will send a servant who will be crushed to those who deserve to be crushed. God will send a servant who act wisely even when we've become foolish. God will send this servant, that's Jesus, on our behalf to do what we cannot do, to be our substitute, and then to give us what we've always needed so that we can live an outrageously good life. And all of this prophecy that this servant will come happens 700 plus years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph. So... The challenge that you and I have before you is profound. Are you willing to accept and receive what millions of Israelites prayed and longed for? You need to understand this. For for 70 plus years in Babylonian captivity, now if We're Jerusalem on the coast of California, and if you were to be taken into Babylonian captivity, that'd be like 
that'd be like all of us were forced to live in Las Vegas, right? Does that make sense? That'd be awful, right? 120 degrees during the summer, right? Just sin everywhere. It would be, it would be terrible. Somebody say amen. amen, right? You live here for a reason, right? You might visit Babylon, right? What happens in Babylon stays in Babylon, okay? Right? I know you tithe on your earnings, by the way, on the table. Um, But for 70 years, millions of people cried out, God save me, if only God would save me, if only God would transform my life. And then God answered their prayers in Jesus. And now, here it is, this gift. So are you willing to accept and receive the gift? Will you live into the glorious inheritance that millions upon millions of people longed and groaned for? If they said, if only one day my children or my grandchildren could receive this, then all of my dreams would come true. And here you are, grafted into this family by sheer grace, would you be willing to receive this and then live into it? Would you pray with me? God, would you open our ears and our eyes? Again, we bind up and silence anything opposed to Christ that's in this room. Get out, leave us now. In Jesus' name, for those online, we pray the same. God, protect their room, protect their spaces where they are right now. We just pray your presence here. And we say to our own souls, awaken, O my soul, and all that is within me. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. By the way, if you are online, we love you. I miss you. I love hearing from you. We're so grateful for you. So the time for Israel's, so history, okay. So the time for Israel's freedom is drawing near. You got to remember that, uh, remember Daniel in the lion's den? That happens in Babylon. So Daniel has ascended now to second in command in Babylon, and he is preparing for the Israelites to finally go home because there's a new kid in the block. And if Vegas is Babylon, the people from um, Flagstaff, Arizona, the Persians, are going to invade the Nevadans and destroy them. Praise God, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so that's what happened. The Persians invade, and, and then they send all of us Californians back home, right? And so we get to go back home. And King Cyrus, who's incredible, gives the Israelites enough money to rebuild their temple and, and all of the wood and the lumber that they needed. And lumber prices today, that's good, right? <laughs> Amen? If you don't buy wood for a living, it's terrible right now, okay? Um, and so it's just absolutely incredible. If you're under 30, you've seen the movie 300 with Gerald Butler. Um, his, so King Cyrus, who set the Jews free, his grandson is Xerxes, who will later fight um, the Spartans. Does that make sense? And Marathon. I don't want to get too deep into this. Anyways, okay. So anyways, God sends word to Israel, who's about to go home. Okay, they've lived 70 years in Vegas, okay? And God is saying to them, he's gonna say to them, when you go home, don't take Vegas with you. Read you read Isaiah chapter 52, verse 11 and 12 with me. Let's read together. 
Depart, depart. Leave Vegas, get out, okay? Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Mm-hmm. Keep on reading. Come out from it and be pure. You carry the articles of the Lord's house. So that's like all the stuff from the temple, right? The menorah and, and the Ark of the Covenant is left in Babylon, later found by Indiana Jones. But, um, <laughs> but it's all the other stuff that's in the Holy of Holies. Verse 12, here we go. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. What's God saying? Leave. No, really, leave. And you got to understand that it's been 70 years, so most Israelites living in Babylon were born there, right? Like Vegas is all they've ever known, right? They never knew that the Raiders were once in Oakland. They've always been in Vegas, <laughs> right? And God is telling them, leave, depart, go home. And they're like, I am home. And they're like, no, you're not. Go, go back to the coast. This is where you live. And don't bring Vegas with you. It's funny. I was talking to a friend who lives in Texas, and they moved from California to Texas. And when the guy said, how's Texas? And they're like, it's great. And like, great, wonderful. And like, half the people in Texas are now Californians, <laughs> right? And, and they were telling me about the story about how when they got to Texas and they met their Texas friends and neighbors, one of the Texans took them aside and said, you came here for a reason. You like Texas, right? They're like, oh yeah, we like Texas. It's like, so don't bring your California in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> which, is, which is so great, right? You know? Because the last thing we would ever want is for Texas to start to become like California, right? We don't want the infection to spread, yes? Right? God is saying the same thing to you and me. Look, we know what prison feels like in our life. It's our bondage to our sin. Amen? It's our determination to live apart from God. It's our victim or survival mentality. It's our, it's our resentments, our selfishness, our codependence, our complacency, our narcissism, our lust, our addictions, our greed. And God is saying, leave that behind. I was talking to a friend this week who told me about when he was in prison, and he spent a lot of time talking to his friends about not taking prison, prison when he left. He was going to leave behind the suspicion, the anger, the paranoia, that feeling of being worthless, and he was going to stand tall and walk free because he was. Just recently in my own family, a friend pointed out to me that I apologize like 22 times every time I make a mistake. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Seriously, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I put myself in a proverbial sack. It's, I think it's a real spiritual sack. It's called diminishment. I get small. I make myself smaller than I am by beating myself up. And I'll just pour on some shame there, or fear there, inadequacy. And, get real small, and then I don't like being there, so then I get defensive. That's always great. When you say Andy, and I say, back off, right? <laughs> so then when someone confronts me, that old 
prison way of thinking, that old Vegas way or Babylonian way of thinking is that when can someone confronts me, I have to beat myself up and then get defensive. And then I'm irritated that they would do that. And so then I blame them. And all they've done is had the courage to tell me I'm off. It's not something I'm dealing with in 1988, and I got over that, thank God, praise God, living in victory. It's like this week, okay? <laughs> this prison behavior, it's survivor mentality, it's Babylon, it's unclean. It's time for me to leave that behind. What does Scripture say? Romans 8.1, read this victoriously with me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, so I don't need to put myself in the sack when I mess up? I don't need to beat myself up? Hmm. Yeah, but read 1 John 1, 9 even louder. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse them you from all unrighteousness. Well, dang it. You say, yay, I say, dang it. Why do I say, dang it? Because I have to leave my prison behavior behind. That's the truth. I, need, I, I can't live in the lie anymore. Amen? Jesus never asked me to beat myself up. He got beat up for me. Jesus doesn't condemn me. He got condemned for me. Jesus doesn't ask me to defend myself. That's his job, too. His righteousness is my defense, not my defensiveness. So why do I keep on doing that? Last week, I talked about moving from a victim and survivor to an overcomer and then to a more than conqueror in Christ. And this is just simply what it's describing, what it looks like to depart from your prison and then to not take your prison with you. Somebody give me an amen. amen. So what is Isaiah saying to the Israelites? He's saying to you, look down at your hands, look at your life, look at your children, notice what is happening, pay attention, open your eyes. When you see something off, don't beat yourself up, no, 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 don't go in the sack, pay attention. See and accept what is happening in your life. Don't just whitewash it, I'm fine, right? Don't whitewash it, look at what's happening in your life. It does, know you, it does you no benefit to pretend or perform. I'm not interested in your performance. I already know you're all jacked up, right? <laughs> and so am I, amen? amen? If you're looking for a perfect church, you wrecked it the moment you walked in the door, right? <laughs> it's not how life works. You might be carrying something that's totally unclean, something totally unhelpful with you right now. It's a behavior, an attitude, a way of handling conflict, a resentment. I don't know what it is but it's poisoning the life and purpose God has for you. And Isaiah is saying, depart prison, let that thing go. So I have a question for you. What are you holding on to from prison that you know isn't helpful? And I don't need you to do anything with it right now. I just need you to recognize that it's there. Can you do that? Take a breath. Take a breath. What is the Holy Spirit telling you right now? Can you name it in your heart? Don't look at the person next to you hoping that they'll do this. This is for you. Now hold on to that because we're going to come back to it. 
But listen carefully to what Isaiah says next, 52, 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Now, of course, you remember Isaiah 6, word for word, right? Of course you do. Um, Isaiah is about to show us how we actually leave from our prison and all its bad habits and to walk in freedom. And our redemption, thank God, doesn't start with us. It starts with our servant. In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw King Uzziah had died and he saw God seated on the throne, he described God seated on the throne like this. Go back one slide, Denise. He saw God on the throne raised, lifted up, and highly exalted. So put it together. If God himself is only described in Scripture as raised, high and lifted up, and highly exalted, and then Isaiah 52, God comes along and says, my servant is raised, high and lifted up, highly exalted. What does that mean about the servant? It means that the servant is God. This is the good news about your freedom. Your freedom doesn't start with your efforts. Your freedom starts with God. It's Jesus himself who's going to do the work to set you free. And then God absolutely shocks us in the next verse as he describes what Jesus will do and what he will look like as he accomplishes our freedom. Read with me verse 14 and 15. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. We're going to spend just a couple minutes reading this and understanding this. Jesus wasn't much to look at. He was just a simple carpenter from, from Kayuma. Kuyama? 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 That's how irrelevant that town is, right? Okay? Right? That's Nazareth. Kayuma, Kuyama, and the new one, right? It's a trailer park. And it's like Mariposa, right? It's like, okay, how fast can I get out of this place? That's Nazareth. That's where Jesus is from, okay? But there's more than just being from a podunk town in the middle of nowhere. Jesus is going to be marred. That word mar literally means that like someone took something precious and pristine and took a hammer and beat it, marred it, dented, crushed, broken. One commentator pondered that maybe the darkness that covered the land when Jesus was on the cross and died was not a solar eclipse. It was a supernatural darkness that lasted for three hours. Maybe this darkness happened, and I'm talking like pitch black, not like, oh, it's dim outside. No, like 3 a.m., no cloud cover, no stars. It's pitch black, dark. Maybe that darkness was there to hide Jesus' disfigurement. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he was marred by your evil, the consequences of your and my rebellion, and that cruel agony of the cross, it utterly broke him, it crushed him. And all of this suffering, 
he took freely upon his shoulders so that you and I can walk free from our prison of sin and death. Skip to the end of the verse here. For what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand. This is again back to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 says, or God says, who's gonna, who, who, who's gonna, who can I send? Who shall I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. Remember that? And then you remember what God, the job description that God gives him? It's awful, right? Preach so that they don't underhear or that they don't understand. Speak so that they can't hear, right? Cloud their eyes so they cannot see. And now what is God saying to Isaiah in chapter 52? When the servant comes, the servant of God comes, who's high and exalted and lifted up, and he becomes marred and disfigured beyond any form of human likeness that we can see, utterly crushed by what is happening to him, then what will happen? For what they were not told, even the kings and the rulers and all the people, the rich, the poor, the educated, the not, the peasants, the aristocracy, they will all look upon Jesus, and then what will happen? They will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Yeah. They will finally see the absolutely and utterly amazing love of God for themselves. They will look upon Jesus just like you have, and they will say, this God of the universe who absolutely loves me, even though I am carrying prison with me and living in my rebellion, he dies for me. Oh, I get it. I get it now. That's how good my God is. And my freedom starts with him, not with me. One last word from these verse, from this verse. Verse 15, read it again with me. So he will sprinkle. That's a weird word. It's a weird word, sprinkle. What does that mean, sprinkle? My friend went to a Catholic church. She's a pastor in Fresno. She was on sabbatical during the Easter season. So she went to the Catholic church for Inkle, for Catholic church for Easter. And they sprinkle you at the Catholic church, right? The priest takes like kind of like a handful of water and just sprinkles on you. But for whatever reason, like she's there with her friends and the priest takes a handful of water and like, it was like a water balloon hit her in the face. <laughs> and like everybody else got a light misting, right? But my friend Janice, she's just like, pow, like just drenched. She needs it. Um, I love you, Janice. Mm. This is actually a technical word. It's a technical word in Hebrew, and it's a priestly word, right? Uh, priests sprinkle. That's what priests do. Uh, and when, when they sprinkle, they're actually sprinkling with the blood of the animal that's just been sacrificed for forgiveness. And so they'll take the blood and they'll sprinkle it on you, right? When you went to church, you did not wear white. Right? Right? Because you're going to get sprinkled. And it's the idea of cleansing. It's the idea of forgiveness. It's the idea that your debt is paid. It's the idea that, that if you're freed from prison, the stain of prison is no longer on you. 
God doesn't look at you. We don't look at you and think, oh, I can't believe your past. What we look at is we say, you have an awesome story because now you are absolutely clean. Read with me 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. I mean, I care about your past and what has happened to you and where you come from. I really care. That is not who you are. What you did last night, last week, that is not who you are. You are a brand new creation in Christ, and God has given you his new spirit, which now hungers for life. And yeah, your old habits are there. Yeah, your old brain is there. And God is saying, would you feed your new spirit and leave the prison of your old habits behind? You're clean. You're cleansed. The scum of your past is gone. Your reputation isn't what you've done. Your reputation is now what Jesus has done for you. Somebody give me an amen. amen. Right? Your past isn't who you are. Your past is a testimony, a story of how good God is. Amen? amen. I'm preaching now. Come on now. Right? You don't need to beat yourself up. You don't need to worry about what has happened in the past. That's covered by the blood of Jesus. You are sprinkled clean. So this is how Isaiah 52 ends. Now, in chapter 53, Isaiah turns to what the suffering servant will do with us. Again, it's the most accurate description of what Jesus does on the cross for us, written 700 years plus before he shows up. Read with me verse 4 in 53. Ready? Here it is. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Wayland Prendergrast had a serious... He knew his habit, and he knew that facing another day without money was going to be really painful for him, and so on his way back home from using and drinking, he decided that he would rob a house if he had the opportunity to do so. And he found a house that was unlocked. Just walked right in the back door. And nobody was home, and he ransacked the place. He grabbed luggage, literally the owner's luggage, and just filled it with all this stuff, all the valuables. And then he realized in his drunken high stupor that he had been there for like 45 minutes, and he basically had touched everything in the house. And he's like, um, I got a record. They got my fingerprints. This ain't good. And so he lit the house on fire. Uh, as a way to cover his tracks, ran out the back door and, you know, dodging through the neighborhood and finally made it to his home. And when he arrived at his house, there was fire trucks there. And his house was an inferno. And he looked down at the stolen property and it was his own. Wayland Prendergast had lit his own house on fire after robbing it. We are both victims and perpetrators of sin's awful infection. So what does God do? God chooses to become our servant. The king of kings doesn't demand, he serves by becoming our substitute on the cross. 
On the cross, Jesus does two things. According to verse 5, Jesus takes our punishment. And then according to verse 4, he takes our wounds. But then he gives us something in exchange. Peace and healing. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. Read this with me. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He becomes sin, we get his righteousness. Let me put it in different words so you might understand. Jesus substitutes your shame with his joy. Jesus replaces your guilt with his innocence. Jesus exchanges your wounds for his wholeness. Jesus swaps your rebellion for his obedience. Somebody say amen. Read this with me. Jesus takes your anxiety and fear and gives you his peace. Jesus takes your rags and exchanges them for his riches. Somebody say amen. So look at him on the cross. Behold, your king and your God, would you let me preach to your heart? Can I speak to your soul right now? What is Jesus saying to you? He's saying, I love you. You are mine. I choose you. I welcome you. I've adopted you. I love you. You are my beloved. And what is Jesus saying about all the wounds that you've received from this world and from other people? He's saying, they are mine too. I was with you when you endured them. You are not less than. You are not spoiled or tainted or toxic. You are washed clean, white as snow. I've taken all that has soiled you upon my body and my soul on the cross, and now it's permanently and forever separated from you. You are brand new now. And what is Jesus saying about all the things you've done wrong and all your failures and sins? He's saying, you are forgiven, you're washed clean, your debt is paid, and you're not just broke, that's what a debt paid means. I've also deposited into your account unlimited righteousness, riches beyond what you can ever imagine. And no one can accuse you anymore, not even your own heart. You have no right to hold anything against yourself. I've paid for it all. You're a new creature in me. Last week I said that I wished I could preach your inheritance into your soul. I wish I could tattoo it onto your heart and mind and body. Well, maybe not your body. (laughs) But I can't. You do the work of trusting. You will not experience the love of God if you do not trust the love of God. How do you trust? Bill Thrall says this. It's about humility. Humility has a relational reality. Humility says when I trust God or another person, trust them with all of me. Let me say that again. Humility has a relational reality. Humility is when I trust God or another person with All of me. All of you. If you want to know the love of God, then trust God with all of you. I asked you earlier in the sermon if you'd be willing to look at her name and accept the part of you that's still living in prison. So let me ask you a question. Will you give this to Jesus? Will you talk to Jesus about this? Last story. I was in Boy Scouts, we were riding bikes. That's what we did in Boy Scouts. Why? 
because my stepdad Wally rode bikes. So the best thing about scouts is that you do whatever the guy in charge likes to do, right? It's the best part about being a parent, right? Don't get interested in what your kids are interested in. Make them interested in what you're interested in. It's not true. It's terrible advice. Anyways, we were riding bikes. And there was always, there, there was a, a bike in our scout troop called a tandem bicycle, right? Two guys riding the same bike. Totally unfair advantage, right? You can ride along at 18 miles an hour when you're 14 years old riding a bike. A tandem can ride at 36 miles an hour, right? I mean, it's horsepower. And so they can fly up the hills. And so everybody was getting a chance to ride on this tandem. And we're all riding and doing all these hill climbs because we're training to go over the Cascade Mountains from Seattle all the way to Eastern Washington, Lake Chelan, back again. And, and so we're training, all doing all these hills, which is easy to do in Seattle. You walk five feet, you're walking up a hill, right? And, and every single other person, they would come, they would ride on the tandem bicycle, and they just blow past the pack, except this one, these two guys. Right? And all of us made it to the top of the hill, and they're waiting for this tandem. And the guy in front is just struggling. He's just sweat is pouring off his face. And the guy in back just looks scared stiff, right? Because a tandem bicycle, like, it's easy to kind of tip over. And they finally get to the top of the hill, and the guy in front, he's like, that was so exhausting. And the guy in back, this, this kid says, sure was. If I hadn't kept that brake on, we might have slipped backwards <laughs> down the hill. Look, you, you, you're going to go to heaven even if you keep the brake on, okay? You're going to go to heaven even if you keep the brake on. You will never experience the love of God and the joy of the Christian life or the power of the Holy Spirit or His purpose in your life or the gifts the Spirit wants to give you so that you can make a difference in hell, in, literally in hell. You can go into people's hells and bring them out. You, you, the only way you're going to be able to live that Christian life and to know what worship is and to know the love of God in every area of your life is if you take your hand off the brakes, you start trusting God with all of you. It's time to ride, brothers and sisters. It's time to ride. Listen to the millions of Jewish voices in Babylonian captivity praying that one day we who would receive this inheritance would live into it. And all God is asking of you, and he's literally calling somebody right now. All God is asking from you right now is honest prayer. That's what he wants from you. Honesty, prayer. He says it like this in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who labor. He's trying to get a hold of you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now with this thing that has been on, it's our prison. We've carried it with us long enough. It has enslaved us, it has promised us comfort or some sense of security or some sense of power when we feel powerless. And Jesus, it's not working. And we want to leave it behind. And so God, we're asking right now for your help. Deliver us from this evil. 
Deliver us from these chains. Break them off. I break them off now, my friends, now by the blood of Jesus. And I pray for a spirit of honesty and intimacy and power in their prayer time this week with you, Jesus. Help them to stop and listen and speak from their heart of hearts to you. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. We worship you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. Would you stand? I pray that the Lord God himself would bless and seal all the good things spoken and sang into your hearts today. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, that's his delight in you, and give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Love you for all you online. Love you. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.